Okay, I'm just getting the stream going here. All right, we're live here. Welcome to Canvas Marketing Live. I'm Jake Litke, your host, um, and we are going to be talking about marketing strategies and techniques for cannabis brands, retailers, and uh, delivery services. Today, we have Peter Casper, the founder CEO of Terpley.io. He is a quantitative professional. I'm just, I'm giving you his bio here. I'm going to ask him what that means in a minute. Um, and he has a, a fancy MBA as well. Um, Peter, welcome to the show. I'm going to ask you right off the bat, what is a quantitative professional? And then maybe you can explain how your education got you there. Yeah, absolutely. So I just like to say that I'm very quantitative in nature. My background's applied mathematics and finance. So I just love working with numbers. I love getting into the nitty gritty of spreadsheets, working, creating reporting, dashboards, everything else like that. And really, I found that my career has kind of naturally fit into ways where I can leverage data and leverage ways of applying mathematical techniques or whatever else it might be to solve problems. Um, so that's really been kind of where the quantitative professional comes in. I like to hold that as part of my identity because it's such a core part of my passion and who I am. So if you're a quantitative professional, do you run into qualitative professionals? Is there an opposite of that, like <laughs> gruntled, disgruntled? How does that work? <laughs> I like to think so, too. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, quantitative, qualitative all over the place. Um, sure. But yeah, I definitely like to think that I more reside in numbers than anything kind of associated with that as my uh, bread and butter. That's great. Um, so yeah, I was alluding to it a little bit, but you have, um, you've worked, you've gone through a few different cycles of education that have given you a background to, to apply those things where you're at now. And maybe you could just fill that in a little bit, uh, for everyone so they have context. Yeah, absolutely. So like I mentioned before, my, my background for undergrad was mathematics and finance. I worked as a financial analyst for several years, kind of also doing a lot of data analyst work for a bit, uh, primarily FP&A for a global chemical supply company. About three years into that, realized that I was good at what I was doing, but wasn't really the most passionate about the underlying product and kind of felt like there was a part of my personality that was missing here. So I took a good hard look at what was driving me, the kind of things that I wanted to apply myself towards. Always had a really deep passion for cannabis as a consumer, as a student of the industry. Um, it was always incredibly exciting for me. And one of those things where, you know, when you're after hours or even at work and you kind of mention it and that person kind of leans in is like, wait, wait, what do you know about this? And kind of starts that whole conversation. Um, I love that. And I found myself gravitating towards that. So as I then looked to my MBA to try to see what my next step was going to be after my analyst job, um, I really just kind of fell headfirst into the, into the cannabis space. So I went to USD uh, to get my MBA from the Marshall School of Business out there and really had the opportunity to found and lead our first business to cannabis organization. So it was the first year that cannabis opened, or I'm sorry, USD opened up its gates towards having cannabis education, programming, recruitment, all that kind of stuff. All the administration needed were some student leaders to step up and kind of create that programming. So right time at the right place, I was hungry and eager for it. So I stepped up, uh, created the Marshall Cannabis Association, which I led as president during my two years there, and basically helped build up all the programming um, from scratch and even helped lead some consulting groups with the CCIA and the NCIA on matters related to social equity and interstate commerce. I worked as a senior associate for a cannabis SPAC and the whole time was kind of working on uh, this passion project, which has now evolved into what is Terpley today. So it kind of gave me a really roundabout education. I had a fast track course in the cannabis space, um, but really centered all my education around technology commercialization and entrepreneurship, um, knowing that it kind of took the best parts of my quantitative nature with this kind of gregarious ADHD rambunctious personality that I like to have. Perfect. Okay. So uh, with all of that said, let's talk about Terpley. Um, can you describe, let's just start with describing Terpley in this, in this sort of simplest possible uh, description, and then we can dive into to what it's doing today. Absolutely. So Terpley is an AI butt tender. We provide effect-based recommendations to guide online shoppers to buy the right product using the science of cannabis, analyzing the full chemistry behind it, the cannabinoids and terpenes, running that against user reviews to then determine the best product based off of what consumers are looking for. So easy way to describe it is if you uh, go to a retail website and you go to purchase cannabis as a shopper, 
uh, we sit there like a little widget. So bottom right, bottom left hand corner, do you need help finding the right product? And we provide an interactive experience to then guide consumers taking this process of navigating hundreds of SKUs on retail shelves down to getting the best three recommendations in under 30 seconds. Under 30 seconds, that's pretty quick. So um, how do you do that in under 30 seconds as you like? <laughs> and I, we, we talked about this a little bit, but we're, you're not using natural language processing, right? You're not trying no. to interpret. Um, that is, that's fraught with all kinds of difficulty. You have more of a, is it a menu? How do you describe the user flow? Yeah. So really there is a super, super simple and interactive experience. So we took a lot of best practices from the e-commerce industry in that you can make a consumer feel matched to a product and they're twice as likely to convert uh, on a particular sale or buying a product. And so for the user or user flow, they would go to the website, they'd see the widget and click on it and they'd get started and they fill out a really simple questionnaire. It's how do you want to feel? So what effects with sensations, what product types are you interested in? potency level that you're going for and price range. And if you're a more advanced consumer, uh, what actual chemistry you'd like to have predominant in your underlying products, looking at the terpene profiles and then preferencing those based off of the chemistry behind those underlying products themselves. And just with those five questions, we're able to run it across active inventory and sort that based off of the best recommendations for what they're looking for. Okay, so you are hooked into the e-commerce inventory system for uh, retailers or delivery services that are using your platform today. So you can pull, you know, something that's in stock or on the shelf and recommend it. And um, go. And go. And so, and you have this in market today. Yes. So we have it in market today. And one thing I forgot to mention, we pair it with the review rating system. So while we're writing recommendations, we also then solicit reviews for closing the feedback loop with the retailers, understanding how consumers are engaging with their product, how they think about them, how they like them. Um, we then provide rewards to consumers, be that loyalty points, discounts, merch, whatever else it is for giving that engagement and feedback. And then we can also personalize the consumer's experience with that information, taking their reviews and then improving the recommendations on an individual basis so that the recommendations get better and better the more they engage, the more they review. Um, all that kind of stuff. Really, the ultimate goal is to have Turpley be everybody's bud tender. Okay, so if Turpley is going to be everybody's bud tender, um, how does that, um, how do you compare and contrast when people say, well, that's different than, you know, a real, obviously a real person is going to be different than a piece of software. It's a different experience. Um, do you see that there's sort of um, competitive overlap in that service, or is it more that you're able to, create an interface um, for people that maybe don't actually want to talk to a person? Um, or or how does how do, what kind of user behavior do you see? Because I could see that, you know, the concept, there's definitely a group of people that are intimidated by the concept of talking to a bartender or really anyone that knows a lot about something that you don't know about. And cannabis especially has its own set of things going on around it. So, um, you know, I've spoken to people you know, that are still on this kind of sidelines of the can legal cannabis side where they're afraid to go into a dispensary. They're afraid to ask questions. Have you captured any data points that show that like, here's a, you know, a friendly computer that will, that will not be intimidating. <laughs> Do you see anything like that? Yeah. So um, I want to make, I want to make a quick point too, in that, like, I don't want to see competitive with bud tenders by any measure or anything else. They are the heart and soul of this industry and a crucial component um, towards navigating consumers for the in-store experience. Um, right now we're predominantly trying to operate where they just can't, which is in the online sphere, but even still, we want it to be a compliment to what they're doing there. And the way I see it is that majority of bud tenders are, educating their shoppers based off of their personal experience. It's what the LPs, what the brands are able to provide them for education that they then pass off to the consumer. And that's, that's difficult, especially for smaller operators, especially for, I mean, the buttoners trying all the products to recommend them. That's a lot of products to try, especially when you have hundreds of skis on shelves. So we wanna kind of serve as a way to then close the gap for retail exposure. If buttoners do, you know, 80% of the products they sell, the 20% that they know, we want to help them with the other 80% for that in-store experience. But definitely playing on the fact that a lot of people just don't want to talk to another person. They want to have that seamless experience. They want to go in, get what they want and get out. 
Um, not all of them want to chit chat the whole time. There might be stigma, especially if you look at different markets. That's what's extremely interesting too, is the sentiment across markets, because I think a lot of the newer consumers are hesitant to go into the, go into the retail stores and engage with the staff for whatever reason. So we've actually seen it be a really powerful, um, powerful tool for new consumers seeing that it has helped improve basket size for new customers, especially first-time users, and they also return much faster as well. So that kind of balance lends the, lends the insight that we're really helping them get confidence in navigating the cannabis shopper journey itself and more trust in the process as we see them coming back more and more um, to that same store and using the tool again. All right. Um, well, let's dive into some of those. You meant I, I don't actually I don't know the numbers. We haven't had this discussion yet, but it sounds like you have some quantitative uh, <laughs> insights that you might be able to share in how your um, your platform or, or just the concept itself of having sort of a, a human to machine relationship to uh, make recommendations, how that's impacting uh, dispensaries or delivery services business in some in some way. Yeah. So what we've really seen. At first, because we're, we're very new to the scene, we just launched back in April. And part of that was like, we have this awesome idea. We have this cool technology that we've built. But the fact that we have this science-based rec system, that's not going to sell. It has to provide value to retailers, especially in such a constrained environment where cannabis is right now. So the initial data that we were pulling, that we were analyzing, that we're demonstrating is all around how we've really impacted the revenue. Uh, and operational performance, primarily from basket size, from order value, uh, retention, especially, but also lo loyalty growth. Um, we have some pretty powerful integrations um, with Alpine IQ. We're working on some with Spring Big and Happy Cabbage as well, um, but essentially able to then reward consumers for engaging with the tool, leaving reviews, but also serving as a way of like, hey, you just earned 20 loyalty points, not a member, sign up here. And we have a really easy catalyst to then route consumers an easy funnel to build that audience segment and has proven to be a really powerful catalyst for that. So does that mean that um, if I am a, if I'm a signed up user uh, or a customer, for example, if, and I come back uh, and I come in, I answer some questions and I get a recommendation for, let's say a specific need state and I come back next week and I have a different need state and I start asking questions again. Um, are you tracking historical recommendations and how what what's actually happening based on those recommendations? So we're tracking what's happening based on the recommendations, but we're not leveraging the previous ones into future ones. All of us are at Terpley or Cannabis consumers. We've been through that journey itself and we know how difficult it can be to get that repeat experience or so. And the fact that what you buy isn't reflective of what you like. I've yeah. bought a lot of products that I will never buy again, but for someone who's analyzing it that way, they'll look at that as a positive engagement for it. Um, but we are able to then track their reviews off of that, the feedback that they have, how they felt, what activities they enjoyed with it, their overall rating for this. And we use that to then improve our product and their experience. And on the review side, so that's kind of a, how are you following up with consumers sort of post-purchase? Because you can't necessarily review something until after you've tried it. Well, you shouldn't anyway, unless you're maybe a paid Amazon review show. But um... <laughs> No, it's a fantastic question. So there's a lot of ways of, of capturing this. We're still, I'd say, experimenting around with some ways and have some pretty cool features that we're uh, rolling out here pretty soon. Um, so right now we have just a lot of engagement on the actual product itself to indicate to consumers they have a review waiting for them. Um, based off of their order history or whatever else it might be. What we're about to roll out right now with uh, Alpine IQ is being able to then message post-purchase seven, 14 days later, hey, how did your experience go um, with this particular product? Leave a review and get X loyalty points, X percent off your next purchase. Whatever else it is, takes them right back to the retailer's website where they're then on site, leaving a review back on their menu page, essentially, Mm -hmm. uh, engaging with the retail website again. Um, so a lot of ways to kind of revisit them, re-engage them post-purchase just on the review front itself, both drive them back to the funnel, but also collect that feedback. Okay. And then um, 
on the sort of the real world application you've got you've got your system up and running in a bunch of retail locations right now have you been able to provide um the 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 most important question i think for all retailers right now or really anyone in the cannabis just industry at all because you know we have all kinds of capital problems well we have all kinds of problems everywhere but you know, no shortage. Getting, no getting, shortage. getting pretty immediate returns on effort, whether it's time or money, um, is at the top of everyone's list. So, do you? What kind of stats do you have on? Okay, we put this system in place, and we've been able to drive additional engagement, or, or like, and actually, that's, let's start with the one layer up, which is what are the KPIs, or the key performance indicators that your system is directly impacting the most, and then what have you seen as an outcome and Feel free to use your, you know, your good examples. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So the easiest thing to point to is we just we just launched a case study a couple of months ago, back in October or so, with one of our larger clients, Sozo Life, based in uh, Michigan. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a six-store operator out there, and over the span of the two months, the engagement was was honestly really stellar. Our team was stoked about how things performed out there, nearly giving them a 10x uh, return on their cost of or cost of Turpley itself. And seeing a dramatic increase across order value, especially for new customers, around 42% increase in the order value for new customers. Um, and then the days to return was about two to three times faster as well, meaning that the actual LTV for those customers' lifetime value was dramatically higher than the people who weren't engaging with Terpley itself. And we've seen these types of engagement, these metrics around a lot of our other clients too. On the other thing for Sozo, we also helped um, capture around 20% of their loyalty signups during that time period as well. Oh, um, so that was that was a huge, a huge value add for them too, because that was a really big priority, was really building out that audience, that loyalty following, and then figuring out how to keep engaging with them. Um, and we've seen that similarly across our other clients as well, where we often see around on average a three to four X ROI on the cost of our product um, with similar impact when it comes to the order size, uh, order of value as well as retention. Yeah. So, and do you also see, cause the first thing I, I kind of think of on, on this front is, you know, we are, obviously we run hundreds of marketing campaigns for cannabis businesses any, in any given month. And we see different levels of performance on, on the post-click experience. And it, and it is largely driven by what is, what is happening after the person clicks on an ad, um, and where people are sending them is wildly different. Right. So, um, if you have something like a sophisticated landing page that has a selling proposition or any way to really engage with a consumer, we see a lot more success with a campaign like that versus someone dropping from, you know, an ad in, you know, when they're reading the news or something and they click through and they go directly to, let's say, like a buy page for a product, right, where there's maybe maybe some reviews, maybe some description, but there's no, there's none of this sort of warm handshake of I've taken you from one experience to another experience. Let me try to talk to you. I would think that, and, and one of the things we measure is bounce rate, right? So like if someone clicks on an ad, they go to the place where you've sent them, how long do they stay there or do they leave immediately? And then, uh, yes, what do they buy? Do they sign up for stuff? But the, this, the place where we see them, the biggest ROI improvement is in that very first interaction after post-click, right? Which is how are you going to greet this person? And it's not practical for a dispensary to have obviously a bud tender sitting there trying to say hi to the potentially hundreds of people that are going to come to their website in a given day. But you know, a, a machine is scalable. And have you seen direct correlation with time on site or bounce rate changing when you're taking someone to an experience where you have like a, hey, I'm do you say Turpley? What do you say actually to, to the pop-up? What's the actual? <laughs> it's called, it's called Turpley. Um, okay. However, for a lot of our white label clients, um, Knox being another one that we work really closely with that we'll be uh, publishing a case study with uh, sometime in Q1 or Q2 of next year, but they call those the Knox bot um, okay. that they've branded themselves. We have another client in Nevada that's calling it Zibby. So there's a lot of ways that they can engage with it. All of the ways that we're also really excited to start testing, analyzing, and tracking to see how it compares on an engagement front. We're unfortunately a little bit too early to start seeing how that compares like from a white labeling perspective. So mm -hmm. definitely something interesting to check in on us about in about three, three or four months or so. 
Um, but definitely you see a lot of the comparison of how someone hits a normal landing page versus, all right, they see Terply right in the very, you know, landing page when they first jump to the website and then go through the flow to get to a product. We see a lot better engagement when it goes from landing page to product through Terply than we do through just naturally them navigating the website itself to then get to that uh, product page. Yeah, that's another thing that happens. And, you know, this con this conversation is largely framed around e-commerce, right? So we're talking about online behavior versus people coming in, you know, uh, walking in off the street. Uh, but for online behavior, because of the just huge amounts of restrictions that exist, there's things that cannabis companies have to do that other businesses do not have to do that create a whole bunch of friction points in a normal e-commerce experience. Um, age gating is one, but that's, that's acceptable. I mean, if, any, if you're selling alcohol or whatever, it's the same thing, age gate, you know, you get through that, but then it's like, okay, we're running a campaign. I'm just kind of go coming from our perspective where we're pushing, you know, uh, customers to a, to a dispensary, for example, we then have to get through some complicated hoops, right? Like one is, okay, where is your store? Yeah. Right. So we have some of our customers have a hundred locations across many states. Now we can control a little bit of that by like geo, you know, specific click throughs coming from mm -hmm. a campaign like this one's in Chicago, that one's in Florida. Um, but once they get there, now we have to figure out what they want, where to go. Um, and frequently the pages, many people's pages have been made in a, a, in a way that is trying to get around some of the issues that you run into with people like Google, for example, right? Um, so now you've added additional friction. So the, I can see the consumers kind of come into an experience already lost in some cases when they land. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, like quite transparently, um, we've seen it be the worst in Canada. So Alberta, we were exploring, um, one particular prospect out there where, almost overnight their online sales got slashed in half because Alberta came out with marketing laws that said you can't have pictures of cannabis online. You can't have THC percentages or anything else like that. And it's, it just made the entire online shopping experience dull. Like there's no way to navigate it. And essentially like the way that my, my co-founder co and I like to talk about it um, is we kind of see these as being like over glorified inventory listings but everything is like made up pretty much where like strain names can be renamed. The genetics can be white labeled for a particular brand. The chemistry even itself can always be changing behind the product. So there's so much uncertainty there, especially with the Indica Sativa hybrid conversation, which is a whole other rabbit hole we can go down uh, for another time. But it all kind of feeds into this, this feeling of being lost that the consumer had. And that was, that was what got me hooked on this idea for Turbley to begin with was just how difficult it was to find cannabis, especially online, what I was looking for. Yeah, it's it kind of reminds me a little bit of when the this is this is a while ago now, but when in the grocery industry, when brand when retailers decided to start having their own generic white label versions of products, right? So like, okay, we'll buy a product from the same manufacturer, but now they don't have to spend any money marketing. So we can drop the price 20, 30%. Except that the packaging was, it was like, and I, there's an old comedian that did joke about this. Like, is there a yellow truck that just says truck on the side that comes up to the store? And then there's a box that says cheese and one that says milk. And they were just like that, right? There's like <laughs> what this is in a plain box on the shelf. Right. Um, and we see a similar thing with with the marketing rules in Canada as well. Right. So it's, it's very you need to use very, very little imagery at all. Um, yeah. And um, in it and it, I guess it's not really ironic because it's, it's a federally regulated thing. Um, yep. The rules are actually much more aggressive in Canada than they are in the U.S. Um, it varies a lot by state, but. Definitely. But it, it puts even more pressure to develop strategies to simplify it. I mean, I, I almost feel like we bring up the plethora of problems that cannabis has in the industry. Like, I feel like we always are trying to create solutions for problems that could be temporary, in, like in the short term, or could be temporary, just like in the long term, like two or three years out. But it doesn't change the fact that the journey is really challenging and you need to have solutions to then simplify that for them. Because when everybody's landing page looks the same, when everybody has Dutchie or Jane, and there's 
difficult to differentiate your experience online, you need to have those tools in place to then guide them and give them that positive shopping experience. Yeah, that's a common uh, conversation that happens a lot, you know, like, well, what happens when the laws get easier um, or when, and actually a lot of people make a mistake and say, oh, well, when it's federally regulated, it'll get easier. Well, oh yeah. Additional regulation is not necessarily <laughs> going to make it easier. What you want is for it to be not actually regulated by the federal government. Um, but I do think that there's some parallels to what's happening in marketing as it pertains to the, the intersection of e-commerce and retail right which if you look at sort of what happened with when amazon came and sort of took over the world with e-commerce and kind of divided the world into into two shopping experiences and i think that cannabis is a pretty it's been an interesting example for innovation because ultimately when you're talking about a delivery service or a retailer in cannabis what you're talking about is a hyper local e-tail experience right so many people are are they're shopping for something locally they are going to go either purchase themselves or get delivered to them, right? So it's it's somewhere between Amazon and like DoorDash, right? Yeah. Um, and that requires a different set of marketing skills because when you're doing local marketing, it's different when you're running like you're going to sell, you know, spatulas online. You can sell that anywhere in the country, right? Um, but when you're selling a, a product that is regionalized, I think that that will translate to other industries as consumer behavior is changing, right? So like right now, I'm not, I, well, at least I'm not, maybe some people are not usually looking for um, like retail goods. I kind of think of it as like, oh, I'll order it online or I'll go drive to the store and get it. But there's a middle ground where you can find what you need and make sure it's in stock and get it delivered or pick it up, right? And I think cannabis, because of the framework that it sits in, or jail cell it sits in, however you want to describe it, um, has had to figure some of these things out that the other categories of like e-commerce and retail haven't been forced to do because they have a business that works already, right? Yep. Oh my gosh, entirely so. I mean, that's a really great way of putting it, the hyper, hyper localization of, of the marketing because it's so important. Like, what is the purpose of understanding how to market to a national consumer when you can only go local in that case for it? And really what we've seen across a lot of our clients, too, is that the user base is so different across markets and things like that, depending on the level of maturation of that market, even within the same market, depending on where they're located. If it's like tourist centric or they have other oper uh, other operations, um, more local areas. But that this speaks to the need to design your marketing plan to really cater to who your customers actually are. You can't take a generic approach with reaching them, with engaging with them, because cannabis consumers are really fickle. And most of them are bargain hunters or they go discount or discount hunting. Um, so you have to meet them where they are. You have to really understand what they're looking for, then cater to those products, then satisfy what their, what their demands are. Um, it's too difficult right now to do that when a consumer can just go to one shop versus another when loyalty is so low, but understanding what they're looking for, the engagement that they enjoy, how to reach them, getting those touch points in before they're even in the door or, you know, once they've left itself, it's so critical to not just ensuring you have a healthy user base, but also retaining them over time. Yeah. So on um, the and you don't call it a bot. It sounds like some people branded it that way, even though maybe you didn't want to do that. <laughs> um, but your your AI bud tender, uh, is there going to be a time when an AI, when your product might hand a person off to a, an actual bud tender, like a, a living and breathing one? If someone, because you see this a lot in other experiences, right? You go to let's say Comcast, and you're trying to get something fixed on your internet, you're going to yep. be in a um, AI conversation for a while. But if you get mad enough, eventually, they'll kick you off to a real person. I'm not saying people get mad with your service. I'm just, I recently <laughs> internet, so I have a direct. It's fresh, it's fresh. It's fresh. Yeah. Um, is that something that is happening now? Or you plan on and I don't, you know, want to give away your roadmap. I'm just asking question no 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 very 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 awesome question um it's absolutely on the roadmap uh when we're gonna we're cr gonna cross that bridge is a whole other question there um as a 
bootstrap team that runs extremely lean with limited resourcing. We obviously have to keep as focused as we can with our roadmap and really what's going to be um, supporting the, the business operation. But we've already gotten an interest from a lot of clients. When you think about, I mean, going to a regular e-commerce website, you don't want to have widgets that are competing with each other yeah. for attention or for space that just creates a disruptive or negative experience for the customer. Uh, might be overwhelming for them. So I think a natural step would be kind of migrating or merging those together where not finding what you're looking for or need some additional help, like to talk to someone, have like a little call button or something that links to Intercom, uh, any of the other kind of outsourced agencies that then facilitate or support that service. Okay, great. Well, let's dive into something that you started to touch on, but then we're avoiding. Um, which is uh, sativa versus indica. <laughs> okay, so this is this is a lively. This could be a lively conversation. I'll leave people have many different opinions on this, um, and it seems to be growing more over time. That that pe many people seem to be acknowledging that those simple labels are not only not helpful, but potentially um, giving people poor information for uh, having a, a, a good experience with cannabis. So you're giving people recommendations based on limited questions you can ask them. If you can't just say, do you like Indica or Sativa? How do you point them into a direction which might be mislabeled anyway, but let's set that aside for a minute and just talk <laughs> about, let's just assume the data is good. How yeah. are you gonna point people in the right direction? I mean, it's, it's definitely tough in that area, like the Indica Sativa hybrid designations. Um, they have a place in legacy culture. And it's something that I've butt my head against a lot because I have routinely gotten very unhappy with products that were labeled as a Sativa, but all of a sudden I'm asleep during the day or an Indica that keeps me up all night. So that really just kind of drives home to the fact that the only way to compare products on an apples to apples basis is through the chemistry behind it, the cannabinoids and terpenes. And as the sophistication of that technology continues to grow and evolve, a lot more of the other elements of the cannabis plant to, to compare against each other. Apologies for the doorbell right there. Um, but what was really, really appealing to me, so I believe it's Leafly's director of science, uh, Nick Jacomist, but he came out with a whole study that analyzed tons of TOA information across like seven or eight different states and then compared them to those Sativa, Indica, and hybrid labels and really found that the only correlation or the only connection that was there that was somewhat accurate was with the Sativa, specifically with terpenoline dominant products. So think like a Jack Herrera and XJ13, like those types of products themselves. Um, that was the only connection where if it was a really sharp, pungent, terpenoline dominant type of a product, those are almost always accurately labeled as sativas, whereas everything else, it was almost as good as random, taking between a product. And you said terpenoline? Yes. Uh, let's, yeah, what is that? Let's explain to someone who maybe <laughs> what it is. Not me, so, I, mean, I know what it is, but other people might not. So, for their so terpenoline, terpenoline is one of the terpenes that are commonly found in cannabis. Commonly yeah. is kind of a, a interesting way of putting it because it isn't, uh, doesn't have an active presence in a lot of products, but when it does, it tends to be a higher proportion for it. And like with what the study that Nick Jacomas did uh, came to, and what's really we found with a lot of our own research too, was that products that were high in terpenoline tended to give off a more stimulating, energizing type of an experience. Um, I'm trying to think of what the, it's typically a much like sharper, pungent, kind of like a fruity-ish aroma to it or so. Um, mm -hmm the relation is like turpentine or turpentine um okay but yeah um but that is one of the terpenes that are more common people who don't know what terpenes are they're just aromatic uh, aromatic elements or oils that exist really if you're smelling anything you're smelling something terpenes that they're emitting off uh, and the cannabis plant produces them as a defense mechanism um, as it's growing but it also has been um believed more commonly in the space to lead to the overall sensory experience that a consumer has. Um, leading on a lot of individual research on terpenes independent as well as with cannabis too. Yeah, one of the analogies that I've heard that I, I think is uh, helpful is uh, pinene is a terpene. Ter 
Now, mm. now I'm saying terpene. A terpene <laughs> pine yeah. is a terpene, right? Which it sounds like exactly what it is. It sounds like it smells like pine, right? Pine, like pine. pinene. So it's a dominant um, terpene there. And there are um, they have small parks in urban parts of Japan that are just pine tree forests, right? And they're designed so that you can leave the office, go sit in the pine tree forest, and get a sense of calm and peacefulness, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a correlation with the human brain and certain sense and olfactory experiences that can, you know, change your perception of how you're feeling. Um, Absolutely. So pinene is one, limonene, limonene, limit, whatever it is. Um, however it's pronounced. Yeah, however that's pronounced um, is lemon, right? You put lemon in things and it has like an uplifting type of scent to it. So you're looking at what are the sort of terpene profiles that may have a psychological effect, but then you have the actual cannabinoids as well, right? You've got, yes. there's lots of them. There's obviously oh, yeah. THC, the various numbers of that, um, CBD, CBG, CBN, THCV. Um, there's, it's such a complicated set of dimensions to deal with. I'll, I'll circle back to like, how do you, how are you getting people through a very complicated conversation with just a few steps? <laughs> and I imagine like even being broadly accurate is, is going to be great. Um, but maybe you could talk a little bit about that without, you know, giving away any of your secret sauce. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's the heart and soul of, of our recommendation system itself. And the way that this all kind of started as a reference point too, is, um, the first time I learned about a COA, that's a certificate of analysis, which is the piece of lab testing required for a product to be sold in the legal market. But the first time that I had someone walk me through a COA, it was actually Kristen Yoder. You're familiar with who that is. It's like a terpene workshop of hers two or three years ago. And my mind was just blown. It felt like I was given a roadmap to my high. It was just written in a language I didn't understand quite yet. But I saw a whole bunch of variables, full profiles of cannabinoids, full profiles of terpenes. And I'm like, all that we need to do or all that I need to do is collect enough of this data, collect enough user reviews as it relates to these products. And then the applications just felt limitless in that regard for it. And so all this stuff from the consumer experience to, to address your question happens on the back end. The consumer has, doesn't engage with this at all unless they're you know, going through that interactive process. But because we've aggregated all these data points on cannabis across the chemistry, user reviews and everything else, it allows us to then append all this information to their active inventory and then rank sort that depending on the criteria that a consumer has uh, requested or is looking for in a product itself. And then when they start leaving reviews on that itself, we're able to then flip it over to then personalize their experience by understanding how the review related to the chemistry and then going through a similar process of rank sorting the menu. Yeah, so in your data set, um, you must have a, a cohort, a group of people that were new customers, meaning that they hadn't necessarily purchased before. Um, and so you, now you're dealing with the, some of it is at least new to that store, but maybe potentially new to cannabis entirely or new to it in the, in the legal sense of it, right? Where you actually have a product selection more than just like whatever the guy has, right? Um, so <laughs> now you have your product selection. Um, and I heard you mention that you've seen an increase uh, or decrease in the amount of time to reorder. Mm -hmm. Are you able to correlate and, and tell a story about, look, for someone that's looking for a product, we were able to give them a superior experience so that they became a more frequent consumer more quickly, right? Um, versus someone that goes into a shop and buys like a hundred milligram edible and eats it um, and then has a terrible experience and then doesn't <laughs> want to deal with cannabis for years. Um, have you gathered enough data yet to say like, we found some new people, we held their hand through the experience and, and we took them from can of curious to can of sewer. Um, Unfortunately at this point, we have not collected enough information on that, but those are the exact insights that we are excited to dive into and collect. At this point right now, it's kind of been the burden of choice of like, we want to collect everything, knowing that there's all these future product opportunities, data lines that we could be monetizing or creating to add value to our current clients. But we've had to be so razor sharp focused just on how we can demonstrate full attribution, full ROI for, their, uh, for the cost of our product and really the value that we bring. 
Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about attribution. That's that's the crux of our platform. So I like to talk about attribution. Oh yeah. Um, how are you measuring attribution, and then how are you delivering that to your customer, the the retailer, in a way that they understand um, and give credence to? Right, because there's a lot of ways that you can draw tenuous lines to things. Um, yeah. Again, if we circle back to the the harsh reality that our industry faces dollars are dear, right? You're, any dollars you're going to spend, whether it's for doing direct advertising or, or a subscription to, you know, a analytics platform like what you have or um, AI bud tender platform um, <laughs> that you have those dollars, you know, you can't write them off like a normal yeah. business can. So they're, they're very expensive and you really need, you really have to be able to show value if you're, you know, collecting a check from someone who's trying to run a dispensary. Oh my gosh. Like that, that has just been like the thing keeping me up at night thing that my co-founder and I will always be chatting about the thing that all of our clients want. It, it's, it's understanding where their dollars going and really how they're seeing a return on that itself. Um, in the early days, we realized that we really needed to up the level of attribution that we're providing to our, to our clients itself. It was just based off of like click value. We took this many people to the product detail page um, but we, we stopped there from a visibility perspective. So a lot of this last uh, quarter and a half or so and beyond was just about really streamlining our Google Tag Manager process there so that we can see full attribution from hit the landing page, engage with Kirkley, all the inner step funnel of and going through our product all the way from hit the, hit the uh, PDP, added its part, checked out with it, came back later. So getting that full flow of information to our clients and like, Talk about reducing friction. Like once we're able to then show them every little step there, it just it cuts out the room for ambiguity. And right now, when it comes to cannabis, that's so critical right now because the more information you can provide that's you know direct and focused, then the better decisions they can make on where to spend their dollars or whether it's a worthwhile investment. Yeah. And you you mentioned an acronym there. I, I like to try to fill them in just because not everyone know some of so you said pdp let's let's walk Thank you. Through, that's all right before you answer <laughs> that question let's walk let's walk through the entire e-commerce flow that you're seeing now for yeah. someone and and how it can be optimized right so let's assume that uh we'll take our context right so we're running say a display campaign for a dispensary like sozo for example right one mm -hmm. of your customers we're gonna find a consumer that we think is a cannabis consumer and we're gonna show them ads, they're going to click on that, they're going to come to Sozo. And then now Sozo's, they're now in Sozo's world, but you're there in the corner, right? Mm -hmm. Saying hi. Um, what is the what is the usual flow that people go through from that point to making a purchase? Yeah. So with Terpley, you're saying? Yeah, with Terpley. And then we can yeah. just say what a PDP is in the middle of that. <laughs> okay, perfect. So there's a lot of what I call like our internal like best practices for Turfly because there's a lot of wrong ways to use our product. I would say like that. And it would come from just lack of experience or uh, as an example, um, having Turfly in the nav bar in the upper nav bar for a website's landing page, driving a lot more traffic there really helps improve engagement for that. Having some banner ads in place as people are scrolling through, really helpful getting us to show up in the search bar um, if there's no recommendations or there's no results that are available, like all these different ways of providing exposure, engagement, and so on and so forth um, to really drive that funnel forward. But the usual experience would hit the landing page, open Terpley, get a recommendation that they click on, go to the product detail page or uh, the page where it has all the information. That's the PDP. Add it to cart. That's the PDP. All right. Um, go to add it to, add it to the cart and then seeing what other products they might add, but essentially then seeing how they then checked out with that product or kept it in their cart itself um, to get that full flow all the way through basically. Yeah, and, and again, the idea that you're you're helping the, the e-commerce experience, right? Which is helping mm -hmm. people. And I, I keep using this analogy, but it is kind of like holding their hand through a process like, hey, you know, come over here look at this, here's what you might be interested in, and here's how to purchase it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like when you have any kind of complex underlying product here, um, 
you need to have some kind of a handholding process or a tool to navigate it because I'm fine finding a product for myself on a website, but I am the vast minority of people who are shopping for cannabis online or just in general too. So for people who don't understand or have that intimate of an understanding, those tools are critical to ensuring they have a positive experience. Yeah, that's great. Um, so I, I will say, I'm gonna open it up. If anyone that's watching, we, there is a, um, there's a little Q and A box here. Um, if, you're, if you have any questions, feel free to ask them a Peter. If not, I will keep grilling him. Uh, on, on AI and and other things. Actually, my I did have another question, which I'm pretty sure that we don't have an answer for yet because the data is not available. Um, some people are trying to solve this, but in addition to the intersection between cannabinoids and terpenes, is the actual individual's genetic makeup and or oh, other yeah. psychological things that may have happened to them in their life, right? So everyone or not everyone i would say most people are aware that the same strain of cannabis affects people in different ways right which we're not in like you know give me your 23 me data i'll do a gna dna C. I yeah. know some of those things exist yet but those yep. dots have not been connected so is the best that you can do is to try to give people a, a some kind of survey question and ask them like you know do you like you know Jack Herrera or something along those lines to get them pointed in, a, in the right direction or? Well, what's, what's super tricky with that is that just leaning on the surface level strain description um, can vary so dramatically. Like Jack Herrera is known for being extremely terpenoline dominant, what it's most known for, or at least it gives it that classic Jack Herrera smell. But I've had a lot of Jack Herrera's that were not high in terpenoline. And they produce different effects for me, essentially. So hinging upon just that kind of a surface level question, unfortunately, isn't enough to then provide that level of insight or that connectivity across people. Um, it would have to be on that apples to apples basis on the chemistry level um, to really understand that itself. And you are correct. We're unfortunately a little bit too early to start seeing a lot of those insights. But that is the purpose of Terpene, why we exist, really to collect all that data to see what we can really do with it um given the uniqueness of it as well as the value it can provide to the market great um i've got a question here from our friend anonymous attendee um the the question is what do you think the biggest opportunity is in the e-commerce space for cannabis and since it's the end of the year we can start making predictions too right like december that's like, what's going on in 2023 top three predictions i did not prepare <laughs> with any so um, let's just stick to this question for now, which is, um, what do you think the biggest opportunities are for e-commerce? And I'll, I'll also start with a little a piece of information. You know, we see primarily what we're doing at MediaGel is helping people drive e-commerce sales or driving customers mm -hmm. to them so they can make e-commerce sales. And so we see the information there is, there's a, a healthy amount of drop-off in between someone, you know, clicking through to ad, getting to a dispensary experience. And I think that's where I that's why I think about the opportunity is okay. You know, people are interested. You know, they're coming there, but the e-commerce experience is not optimized. Obviously, that's what you're trying to solve. But maybe where do you see opportunities for Tripoli, and then where do you see opportunities for the market as a whole to make the e-commerce experience more smooth for consumers? Yeah, I really think a big opportunity for us is trying to then kind of focus down on really optimizing the recommendation aspect for things. And like, I, I think a big problem that cannabis has faced is that everyone wants everything in one. They want a full C to sale ERP system that also runs e-commerce marketplaces that also provides, you know, X, Y, and Z. Like everyone tries to do it all. And that tends to spread people thin. It tends to dilute any of the core value or the core problem that people are solving for here. Um, and I think that's a big challenge in this space, but it also breeds opportunity for specialization. So you look at uh, the typical e-commerce landscape where you have like a Yachtco um, or who's doing a lot of the reviews, like a power reviews as well, or like dynamic yield is doing recommendations, but that's like all they do is they're essentially all about just optimizing that one part of the consumer experience. And I think bringing those best practices in will continue to be a trend. Um, and I think that you see like one of our partners called Rank Really High, for example, and they've essentially modeled all of their, they, they do um, native websites via 
uh, what is it? Um, Dane Roots and Dutchie Plus. Okay. So they have essentially modeled all their stuff after Walmart and Target and Best Buy, all these mega corporations that have streamlined, you could argue, solidified as best practices what e-commerce would look like there. And I think as these are becoming more rigid, especially in comparison to a lot of the technology has been around for a while. I think Dutchie, Jane, whoever who are trying to, you know, continue innovating, but they still have their core solution from, you know, a few years back. I think having people who are bringing in those best practices who can help optimize that experience is such a big opportunity set. Another thing too that I heard from a, a retailer in Canada a couple or last week was just it honestly kind of blew my mind um, how they were thinking about it. I'm like this. This makes sense for our market right now. But this one guy was talking about building this whole like feed to sell ERP system that was like nine products in one, but essentially provided like five revenue streams back to the retailer. And ultimately through these revenue streams, they would actually be able to pay the retailer back, even sometimes making the product free for them in that aspect for it. But I think a big opportunity set is how can you leverage other parts of the supply chain to continue monetizing your product to either add value and provide a cheaper one for retailers, for example, um, in exchange for that other revenue stream, or even split some of the revenue with the retailer if like you go an advertising model and then coordinate between the LPs, so uh, brands. Um, I think those are some pretty big, pretty big steps right there. Yeah, and when you say LP, you're talking about a licensed producer in Canada, which we Thank would you. call yes. a manu manufacturer here. Um, Thank you. So, um, Okay, I have a couple thoughts on that. I'll get to some of these other questions here in a second, but just on the sort of biggest opportunities in, in cannabis. Um, and again, cannabis is a subset of the, the world at large, and there's some things that are happening there. You mentioned Walmart. Um, Walmart has done an exceptional job of becoming, you know, a very powerful e-commerce platform, but more specifically a retail media exchange. And so when I when I talk about a retail media exchange, um, in the world of digital advertising, you would traditionally have a publisher and you'd have an advertiser and then they would connect through potentially many intermediaries in between. I want to run an ad and, I, and this ad shows up. Now, mm -hmm. the concept is that because people are spending a lot of time in e-commerce experiences, Amazon being the best example. I mean, people just spend time there hanging out, look, looking at stuff or they get driven there by affiliates or influence or whatever it is. Um, but that means that there's a tension there, right? And so the concept that I've heard people talking about, which is is that every e-commerce company or site is their own ad network, right? Because you now have attention. And if you draw correlations to the traditional CPG industry or even the grocery industry, you know, when you go into a grocery store and you look at the end caps that are there, right? Those are paid for, right? But they're paid for by the brands, right? The brand is paying to be on the end cap and they're paying the retailer. And that mm -hmm. there may be some interconnections in between pricing and, and other things, but what is happening is they're, they're buying advertising space effectively. And the same yep. thing is happening in e-commerce relatively quickly with the larger players like Walmart and Amazon, obviously that they are their own ad networks, but you, the same thing can exist for a uh, canvas retailers menu, right? So you've got people shopping there. You have the ability to, um, monetize that that inventory in, in a number of different ways. Um, and well, I haven't seen this happen yet, but it will at some point when you start seeing ads for non-cannabis products inside of a cannabis menu, right? Yeah. And we can come up with like some real easy go-to ones. I always use Taco Bell as an example, and it's kind of trite, but like- Totally. Buy, buy some tacos right now. Like just put that underneath the Jack Herrera, you know, product page. Um, you'll see that coming. I don't know when that'll happen, but that's the example of why anyone who has an e-commerce store is themselves actually a little tiny ad network. Yeah. I, I think that's a fantastic projection. I've absolutely heard that too. Um, I feel like the first people who are already doing it are going to be the Bovidas, the Raws, the ones who are like cannabis adjacent um, regarding the accessories and other things like that. Um, and then ultimately, yeah, like a Taco Bell, like a Cheetos, Whatever can appeal to the to the stoners who are looking, who are you know. Have I mean, the it could be a smoothie. We could go with something healthy, right? Yeah, like, totally. Could yeah. totally be a smoothie too for like the more health conscious, you know, yeah. cannabis consumers and stuff like that as well. 
Um, I'm excited to see that and hopeful. And it actually reminds me because when we were in Canada, we learned a lot about um, Buddy, the e-com marketplace up there. Yeah. And they've really disrupted, like Dutchie had a massive presence up there and they really disrupted the market a bit because they came out with a freemium version of their product that just had ads in it. And so they were able to get into a lot of retail stores and then monetize to support themselves via the licensed producers and manufacturers who are now advertising on the network. So like, super smart. I mean, you're able to get in the door, you're able to then facilitate that, you're collecting so much data as a result, but it's another thing where I feel like um, it was interesting to see how that disrupted the landscape up there. Yeah, that's great. Um, we've got a few minutes left. I'm gonna try to get through some of these other questions. Um, one is, will Turfly ever recommend edibles? Fantastic question. And yes, so our plan is to start doing that. Edibles have been so tricky um, because of the testing landscape for that. So one of the reasons why to kind of put it simply is that um, to test the products themselves, they're very specific ones that break down the material to then isolate the cannabinoids and terpenes itself. Um, there's a test for flower products. There's a test for, you know, concentrate, vape carts, oils, that kind of stuff. Because there's so many form factors for edibles, you could have edible funyuns, you could have edible chocolates, you could have edible gummies. All those need a different type of test to properly break down the material and isolate the cannabinoids and other, other components for it, which then means that it's very difficult. So the sophistication of machinery isn't quite there. The element of terpenes being involved with it through our digestive system versus through inhalation is a whole other kind of like mystery in the space right now that needs a lot more research. All that being, it'll take a different recommendation system to properly suggest the edible product, which we've already architected and mapped out. Um, it's just a matter of resourcing and not having enough time in the day to properly prioritize it. But yes, we're super excited to be doing that. Um, we just need enough time and, and resources to fully build it out. I mean, could you just start with like a, uh, MVP or version one with just like edibles that are made with like live rosin, live rosin or resin. Cause then you oh, kind yeah. of know what's in it. Right. Oh yeah. So, but, but again, how is the experience different from when you dab a live rosin versus you eat a product that is infused with live rosin? That depends so, on how much you have. <laughs> it absolutely <laughs> but, does. Yeah. But to that point too, is it the same experience as if you were to smoke it? Um, I just don't know. And right now there's a lot of people who are trying to do that with like strain specific, you know, beverages or kind of edible products and stuff like that. Um, so I'm eagerly watching to see really what research comes out about that. And then once we get our edibles up and off the ground, whether there actually is a correlation there or not. Okay. A uh, couple other questions here. Uh, here's one. What is the current cannabis e-commerce experience and why is it so bad? That sounds like a leading question, but um, <laughs> <laughs> how does, actually, no, this is good. Like, how does what you're doing right now bring best practices from other industries into the cannabis industry, which we always need, you know, better. better yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of, as we were thinking about this, because we kind of fit our recommendation system for e-commerce. Uh, originally, Terpley was a mobile app that we tried to launch in Los Angeles, um, but then decided to pivot away pretty organically as we saw more opportunity in, in, this, in this field for it. Um, but in all of our research, we found a lot of consistencies with some of the best practices, like a lot of leading companies. If you look at uh, Tommy John, for example, and as soon as you jump in, into that, they have a banner ad that's like, find your perfect underwear, take our quiz. And I remember one of our advisors and walking us through this, just had our whole team go through and take a bunch of underwear quizzes at different websites to try to figure out which was the perfect fit for us and all this stuff. And he is the VP of e-commerce at a D2C e-commerce growth leader called Solo Brands. Uh, they most, I'd say, I know them most by the company uh, Court Solo Stove, which is the stainless steel fire pits, but also they own the brand Chubbies and a few other type of companies too. Yeah, And he was like, the number one thing that'll convert people on the website, make them feel matched to a product. Like for Solo, solo Stove, he's like, we have an equis on there. The only operative question is how big is the space that you have to fit this fire pit? 
everything else is just about capturing consumer information to leverage for marketing purposes. And it's just, oh, I have this space, cool, you get a medium-sized fire pit. So it's really easy stuff like that, but when the consumer psyche is so important to understand as they go through this process, all of a sudden making them feel masked has become something that's become a best practice in those in this industry. And do you, if you have someone that answers a, the questions and they go through, are you pointing them at a single product or are you saying of the 300 things on the shelf, here's five that might work for you? Yeah, the latter. The latter. So of the all the of all the options, here are the three best recommendations based off of what we had on shelves. And that was a lot of what we're pulling because we had some conversation of what's the right number of products to recommend. And it seemed like across the board, three was the one that most used. So we kept it easy. Also, not kind of play into decision paralysis for the consumer. So keep yeah. it kind of simple and focused. It is the magic number, right? Absolutely. Um, so I have to ask though. Did anyone on your team find like a better underwear fit than they had previous to going through the <laughs> underwear quizzes? Because like, you know, this is important information. <laughs> no, but everybody was just blasted with underwear ads for like the next three months straight, no matter where they went on the internet. Yeah. So that was that was a really funny thing. We're like, yeah, got another that's underwear it. ad. That's what we do. Um, all right. I'm going to go one. We're just wrapping up on time here, but, um, someone did ask a question, which I think would be helpful is what are some good sources for reliable cannabis research, which I feel oh, like you might be uniquely positioned. Awesome. To answer. Super duper. Awesome. So I have a bunch of Google alerts on cannabis research. Google alerts are like one of my favorite tools in the world. They just scrape whatever's going on, on, on Google and in the internet to find things. And so I have a ton related to cannabis research that is a really easy place to start, but it's not very direct. Nick Jacomis at Leafly is fantastic. I mean, great speaker, but he really digests things really well. Cody Peterson is another really great PharmMD uh, cannabis researcher. He works for the Kenigma. Um, Kenigma being another great one too, as being one where all their articles are uh, like multiple, reviewed multiple times by you know, PhDs and other people that work closely in the space. Um, so those are really, really great places to start. Um, I also know, oh my gosh, how am I blanking on his name right now? Dr. Ethan Russo um, is fantastic as, as being a pioneer in a lot of these areas too. So that's another Google alert I have is like anything Dr. Ethan Russo related because um, he's always coming out with really interesting research that are all about the interrelationship between cannabinoids, terpenes, and the human body. Do you have something like this? Maybe this is, let's get into content marketing for a second, a little off topic, but um, do you have uh, maybe links or little blog art posts or uh, top, maybe top 10 lists? Everybody loves lists. Uh, might be a good <laughs> thing to have on your website, right? Like here That's are- That's a really, really articles, good idea. A little, you know, synopsis, you know, again, that'll help with SEO. Again, off topic, yeah. but it doesn't hurt. Um, no, it's perfect. We, we have like, Oh my gosh, a whole index that we had for new hires. Um, thankfully, we, we, we've had our team for a while now, so I uh, haven't really dived into that recently. But we had probably like 20 or so research reports, articles, links to various things that I basically had all of our new hires go through and study and then give us a little report once they've finished the orientation about what they learned, what questions they had and everything else. So that is a brilliant idea. There you go. All right. Um... One last thing you mentioned, Google, Google alerts. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you just Google Google alerts to find out how to do that? Or where does someone, <laughs> is, it, is it in your Gmail? Where do you set that up? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Let me see. Let me see. Okay. Me you can look that up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's just google.com slash alerts. And then it auto, it'll sign you into your Google account. And then like literally you're able to, like I have 26 from AI cannabis, cannabis analytics, Cannabis chemistry, cannabis delivery, cannabis personalization. Um, don't accidentally you know. rattle off one you don't want to share, though. Oh, no, um, I'm being selective here. Don't worry. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that didn't sound like 26. But um, we're, we're up on the hour here. I want to be mindful of everyone's time. Um, but uh, Peter Casper, Triple IO, uh, can you just tell people how to get a hold of you if they want to ask you follow-up questions or... Get a, I'm assuming that you're happy to give people a demonstration of your platform if they're interested. Oh, absolutely. Would be more than happy to do that. Um, so 
to get to our website, it's just terpli.io. Terpli is spelled T-E-R-P-L-I. Uh, fun fact, if you didn't catch this already, Terpli is based on terpenes. Um, but so terpli.io, there's a whole book of demo link right there, big old green button. Um, and then reach out to me personally, pcaster at terpli.io. I am happy to connect with people. This is my favorite thing to talk about. Um, and always looking to connect with others who might be interested in leveraging the tool or just talking shop and want to learn more. Okay, great. Well, we are, as we mentioned earlier, this is our, our last Cannabis Marketing Live of 2022. Um, our next one will be uh, January 5th next year. It's always fun to play with the end of the, ah, see you next year. Um, but <laughs> I did allude to this. Let's, um, I'll put you on the spot. You can pass if you don't want to, but what's one prediction that for 2023 that you have? Generalized, terribly related, industry related, and yeah, so let's go with industry related, cannabis industry related, and you could even maybe focus on e-commerce. I guess that's kind of what we're supposed to be talking about. So, uh, gosh, this uh, I'm gonna pass because my my head's just kind of going to some grim grim place. Right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, we'll, we'll go with another out. one. We'll just take a simple <laughs> a simple true false poll, which we'll probably find out. I mean, this is just weeks away. Um, do you think that we'll see some movement on SAFE in a positive direction? The SAFE Banking Act, meaning it, there's, I've heard rumors, this is going to go stale very quickly because I, we're going to find out in, you know, a week whether or not something yeah, happens. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I was going to say true. And then my girlfriend came up to me this morning. I was like, did you see what Mitch McConnell said this morning on the news? And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I don't know if it's gonna look good anymore. Um, we definitely need it. Like, we do. dear God, we definitely need it. Um, to end on a to end on a high note, no pun intended. I'm gonna go ahead go ahead and say true. You're gonna say true. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and well, say I'll true. give it positive vibes as well, and and say <laughs> that we we will get some some banking relief for for the industry. Um, but in the sort of entrepreneurial slash decided to work in the canvas industry, I think it's a requirement to have. Uh, unhealthy level of optimism so well just <laughs> tends to we'll run with the there. culture yeah <laughs> sounds perfect uh thank you peter for your time uh i learned a few things terpaline was fun to learn about as well as others um <laughs> we can circle back uh at some point maybe we'll we'll chat again and, and get into some more details so perfect jake so much thank you so much for having me yeah thanks peter thanks everyone for listening have a great holiday take care guys bye cheers <laughs>